I would love to ask all of the dads for just a split second, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask the dads to stand and we're going to have a word of prayer for us as dads. Let's give it up for the dads in the house on Father's Day. Awesome. And for the dads who are online. But I want to have just a moment, just a word of prayer for our fathers as we begin this time of study and go into God's word together. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to celebrate and honor you. And Father, in this moment, I pray a special prayer of blessing, of spiritual protection, God, of grace and truth and courage in the lives of each of these men standing. The dads who are watching online, God, we just pray that you would give us what you know we need to do the job that you've called us to, to be the men, to be the fathers, the husbands that you've called us to be. And Father, I pray your blessing and your favor over each of these men, the fathers, and each of the families that they represent, that your love, God, your servant leadership, your godly authority would rain down on every home represented in these men. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. And everybody said, amen. amen. Guys, be seated. Thank y'all so much. <clears throat> well, I'm going to start by telling you a story that begins with my mom, even though it's Father's Day. When I turned 14 years old, my mom gave me my first guitar. I had no idea. I, I had wanted a guitar. My, I had grown up watching my dad play guitar before my parents were divorced. And when I would turn 14, my mom gave me a guitar. To this day, it is one of the greatest gifts that I have ever received. Now, I turned 14 in October of 1980. And just a few months later at Christmas, my dad gave me a gift that I never saw coming that played off of the guitar I had gotten in October. At Christmas, my dad brought gifts over to our house. They, my parents had divorced the year before, and so dad brought gifts over, and he waited to give me this gift until the very end. He handed me a, a box that was wrapped, and when I opened it up, I found this binder. You, you may not be able to tell, but it's suede. It is very nice. It has my name down here, Mac Richard. And I was kind of like, a binder? Why is dad giving me school supplies for Christmas? That's kind of a bummer. But when I opened it up, my dad had taken the time to type out the words and lyrics to over a hundred country music songs and transcribed all of the chords and chord changes that go with them. I mean, for somebody who was just learning to play guitar, it was like if... If you had just learned to read and you walked into the Library of Congress, I mean, this was, now this was 1980. So for those of you scoring at home, this binder will be 40 years old at Christmas this year. And it was an incredible gift. Being the 80s, my dad was into country music. There's a lot of Waylon Jennings in here. There's a lot of Hank Jr., Hank Sr., Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, on and on and on it goes. Well, what was really, really amazing about this was not just the songs, but over the years, and particularly since my dad passed away when I was in college, what has come to mean even more than the binder and the songs themselves are the, is the letter that he wrote in the very front 
of this binder. Now, he had given me, you know, there were chord changes and, and there's, there's a thing about how to form different chords and that sort of thing. But this note, this is the scan of this note that I've got right here in my hands. It's got some coffee stains or something from who knows when. But this is what the note says. It says, Merry Christmas, 1980. I hope you have as much fun and pleasure learning these songs as I have had in compiling this volume. You are on the list for future updates too. The offer still stands to get together and learn some hot licks. Have a good holiday. Love, Dad. I don't know if you can tell, my dad had cool handwriting, didn't he? He didn't pass that down. I got chicken scratch. He had some cool handwriting. But as I've gotten older, you can tell that this obviously continues to mean a lot. I've, I've kept up with this thing through who knows how many moves through college, getting married, having my own kids, protecting it from them. This thing is absolutely priceless to me. Now, I told you that to tell you this, because what my dad did for me musically on that Christmas so many years ago, I believe perfectly parallels exactly what God calls every single dad to do spiritually and relationally. Our job, as God has given it to us, is to, is to teach our kids the, the music, the lyrics of a life lived in relationship with God and lived out of that relationship to show them what it looks like to, to form the right chords and, and to make the right kind of music and to change chords when you need to change chords, to maybe play a little rhythm guitar and support somebody else who's leading. Sometimes you got to step up and play a little lead yourself. Wow! But dads, whether you have a musical bone in your body or not, this is our job. And I think that it perfectly ties into where we've been over the last few weeks. For the last few weeks, we've been really mining and, and exploring what it means to live out the, the shalom of God, that the fullest expression of, of human flourishing that there is, what God has created every one of us for. And, and I don't think we're going too far out on a limb to say that no one has more influence, no one greater, makes a greater impact in human flourishing than our parents, moms and dads alike. But since it's Father's Day, we're gonna focus on the dads. And I think, you know, as soon as we say that, I know that there's only been one perfect father that the world has ever known, our heavenly father. He's the only one who has never made a paternal misstep. And what I've also learned is the vast majority of us dads really and truly are doing the very best that we can with what we've been given. We're doing the best we can with what we've got. But I also know that for some of us here today, maybe your relationship with your dad is a, is a source of deep, deep pain. For, for some people, that, that's a reality. And I wanna say to you that I believe with everything that I have, that in this message, what we're gonna see from God's word in just a couple of minutes, I believe that, that God has healing that he has hope and that he has help in store for you. So I'm gonna ask you, if you're in that camp, just to, just to kind of hang in there with me for just a second because I, I, you're not alone and you're not crazy, but there is healing in our perfect heavenly father. So hang in there and just see if in the next few minutes God doesn't show up and show out in your life. 
Now, today for this message, we're going to spend the vast majority of our time in the book of Proverbs. As a dad, I'll never forget when, when Julie and I came home from the hospital with our firstborn, Emily Catherine. We got home, and, and you know, you're in that kind of that brand new parent haze. You haven't slept a whole lot in the hospital. And, and back when Emily was born, there, there was no two or three days stay in the hospital. It was 24 hours, boom, see ya. And so we get home, and we've gotten the car seat, and we've got her all strapped in. We get home, and we get her out of the car seat. We walk in the door, and Julie's mom is there, and we're all trying to figure out which end is up and what's going on. And, and, and I took Emily into her room, and, and from the hospital to our house, which was about a 10-minute drive, she already needed a change. And I don't know if you know this, but nurses don't come home from the hospital with you to change your baby's diaper. And when I put Emily on the table to change her, I, we had done all of the parenting classes. We, we had gone to Lamaze and, and all, all of that stuff. All those, you know, like, it, it, I felt like those classes lasted for four days. Does anybody else remember those classes? Like, like, breathe and go. That's kind of all they needed to tell you, but it spent a lot longer. And when I put Emily on that table, I remember looking down at this little life completely dependent upon Julie and me for feeding and sustenance and cleaning and, and everything. And I just remember being absolutely terrified. Dads, how many of you were terrified the first time you came home or you saw your child? Can I just see a show of hands? At home, if you want to, go ahead and raise your hand as well. Okay, if you're not raising your hand as a dad, you're either lying or clueless. Because you, you ought to be just a little bit scared by the job at hand. But God gives us the book of Proverbs, which by the way, is a father talking to his children throughout, passing down the wisdom of God. And of all of the tools that we need in our paternal tool belt, wisdom is number one. You, you can't make up a rule, you can't make up a policy for every single contingency that will arise in parenting. You have to have the wisdom of God to be able to make decisions on the fly, to know how to respond when that little three-year-old looks back at you with love in her eyes or his eyes and says, no, daddy. I'm sorry, what? Did, did you just stomp and say no? I've been feeding you for three years. What, what do you mean, no? That's when we need the wisdom of God. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Proverbs chapter one. In Proverbs chapter one, we're gonna begin this journey with God to achieving and living out wisdom. Proverbs chapter one, I'm gonna start with verses seven and nine. <clears throat> Proverbs one, starting with verse seven. This is what God's word says. It says that the fear of the Lord, the awe and the reverence of God is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. My child, I love that. Listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of true knowledge. So uh, of all the wisdom and knowledge in the world, it all must begin with the fear 
of the Lord. This, this sense of awe and reverence of knowing he is God and I am not. If we don't start there, all of our human understanding is built on shifting sand. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. It is the beginning of wisdom. And I love what it says. It says, now my child, it's this, it's this father going, please, I'm begging you, listen to what I'm telling you. Listen, because this will benefit you. I'm, I'm giving this to you for you. And I think this is a great place for us to begin the conversation that as fathers, we are to feed our children from our own faith pantry. We're to feed our kids from our own faith pantry. Now, I don't know what your household has been like during the coronavirus season that we're in. Can I just ask you a question real quick, that not, not related? How many of us are over the coronavirus season? I mean, I, I think we should still be smart. I think we should still be safe and wise. I'm not saying that. But if they told us today everything was cool, I'd be really glad to never put another mask on again. I'm never doing Halloween ever again. <laughs> I am over this thing. But wisdom, love for our fellow man, being a good neighbor, we're going to continue to be wise. We're going to continue to do this. But remember when, when they first shut everything down and we had, we had to figure out how to go to the grocery store again? Like, it was a completely new experience. Julie started doing Instacart for our household a couple or three years ago. She hadn't been to the grocery store in years. She had to Google it on her phone to find out how to get there. I, that's a joke, but, I, but I, I make my point to say this. When you're stocking up for a season of change, you start to shop differently. When you understand as a dad that your job is to pass on the wisdom of God to your children, you start to realize we don't have enough wisdom on our own. We don't, we don't understand enough in our own human intellect. We need the wisdom of God. So we have to stock up in our own faith pantry in order to give it to our children. They have, to, they have to see it spilling out of our lives. They have to see it spilling out from what we're taking in. That, that's why one of the things that I love about our, our church, our church, is the fact that so many men are committed to Bible study. So many men go to Bible study regularly, not just to learn more stuff, but to be the men God's called them to be, to, to live in that relationship with God and to live it out. And it's out of that overflow that they begin to feed their children. But it's really important that we understand it begins not with what we teach them, but it begins with what they feel. And here's what I mean. I'm not saying that feelings should govern your children's lives. Somebody help me preach that. What I'm saying is, our kids have to understand, they have to, they have to know subconsciously before they can ever even articulate it, that everything we're giving them, we're giving them for their benefit. 
This passage in Proverbs chapter one says, my child, please listen. I'm giving you these things and they will be a, a garland around your neck. This will be like something that adorns your life that will make your life better. You see, when we feed kids out of our own faith pantry, we are putting the relationship before the rules. Now, every relationship has rules, obviously. But especially when it comes to parenting, relationship without rules breeds resentment and rebellion. But relationship with the rules generates respect and responsibility. Our, our kids grow up with a respect for their mom and their dad. Honor your father and your mother that you may live a long life. There's a whole theology lesson sermon series in that one promise of God. But we show them first why we tell them what to do. The wise dad, the wise father always communicates the whys behind the what's. Yes, we tell them what to do, what not to do, but as a wise father, we start by telling them why we're telling them this. First of all, I'm telling you this for your own good. I remember telling Joseph when he was a little guy, I remember saying, hey Joe, the reason we tell you to tell the truth is because your life will work better. And what I meant by that was, if you don't lie to mom and dad, we'll continue to feed you. And if you don't tell lies at school, people will know they can trust you. If you don't tell lies, you don't have to remember the lies that you told over here so that you can tell another lie to cover it up here. I'll never forget Emily. At about 13, 14 years old, we were sitting on our sofas at home. I can, I can picture it like yesterday because it was like, as a, as a parent, sometimes you get those wins that you're just like, this stuff's actually working. This, I'll never forget this. We were, we were talking about obedience. We were talking about obedience to God. We were talking about faith. We were talking about these things. And Emily just blurted out, you know what I just realized? Obedience is selfish. And I went, what, what has your mother been filling your head with? Not really. She goes, no, listen. She goes, if you're obedient to God, God loves you. He wants the best for you. I will, you know, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So if I'm obedient to God, then I'm obedient to my own best interest and my life works better. Obedience makes my life work better. And I just stood up and dropped the mic and said, my work is done here. See y'all. I was like, what a brilliant way to put it. You see, we're all, we all make decisions based on self-interest. Let, let's be honest. We, we make decisions and we decide to make changes based on the evidence that we see and the degree to which we think it will improve our lives. And, and at 13, Emily was starting to understand that following God, living a life in relationship with God was what made her life work best, feeding them out of their faith pantry. Look over at Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs three, we're gonna look at verses one and two. Again, this, this term of affection, my child, my child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Your life will be satisfying. What God is saying here is that dads, our job, the, the business that we're in as fathers is primarily 
to shape hearts practically. We're, we're here to shape hearts practically. It's not about creating a little automaton robot who always does what we tell them to do. It, it's about shaping and molding a child's heart. You, you get a dog to obey you every time that you want them to, but, but a child, you have to shape their hearts. Now, let me say this too. Even with dogs, they've got to know they can trust you. Emily has a, has a new little puppy called Walter. He is hysteric, one of my favorite dogs that I've ever been around in my life. He's a boxer, literally out of his mind. I don't know where he's getting the crack that he apparently is smoking, but he's just, he just, as Emily said the other day, he brings a lot of energy. Well, Walter loves an open door. If he sees daylight, he's like Earl Campbell blowing through a hole. I mean, he's gone. And when Emily was sheltering in place in our home, man, we, we had to be on the lookout. My dog, Gus, super obedient, super compliant. You just have to go, Gus, no. And he's like, ooh. I mean, he's devastated. Walter's like, ha, ha, ha. I mean, he's just ready to go at a moment's notice. We have to teach Walter a little differently than we do Gus. You have to, you have to shape the heart, not only of dogs, but of children based on who they are. And by the way, I think anybody contemplating parenthood, get a dog first. Just, just, I would just encourage you to do that. Just start, you know, and, and work your way up. What about a cat? Uh, no, dogs. <laughs> cat, you can't shape a cat's heart. They don't have hearts. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a moot point. <clears throat> but we... We shape our kids' hearts. And the only way they let us shape their hearts is if they know that we have their best interest at heart. If they know that we are on their side. And, and you've heard this said before, but it's so true. Parents are not friends. Parents are not friends. Your kids will have a lot of friends if you parent them. If you don't parent your kids, they're not gonna have any friends. Nobody's gonna to wanna to be around them. Like, that guy's wild. But if you parent your kids, they will have plenty of friends. They only get two parents. So shape that heart practically. Show them that why behind the what. And show them why it's in their best interest to do those things, but you start with that relationship. Moving on in Proverbs chapter three, my child. Do you see how often the book of wisdom says this? My child, my child, my child, my, my child. It's, it's such a term of love and affection. Again, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So we, we start by feeding them out of our faith pantry. We, we understand that the job is, is bigger than just obedience. We wanna, we wanna shape their hearts. But then it starts talking about equipping and correcting. And, and it's so important that we equip our kids proactively, that we equip them proactively. I remember when Julie 
would take our kids to Chick-fil-A. They'd go to the mall and, and, and Julie would always make them order for themselves. As soon as they could talk, and sometimes in, in, you know, even before they could really communicate, she'd sit, now she'd stand close by and watch and make sure they didn't get abducted, but she was there and she'd make Joseph go up to the counter. Can I have some nuggets and some fries, please? And, and Emily, man, you never had to teach her how to project. She, she had pipes when she came out of the womb. I'd like a number two with fries and an Arnold Palmer, unsweet tea, but regular lemon. I mean, she just, she had it. Joseph, on the other hand, he was a little more compliant. He was, you kind of had to give him a little more, little more prodding. And he's like, can I please have some nuggets and fries? And, and Julie say, buddy, he couldn't hear you. You got to speak up. A lot of people here at the mall. Can I please have some nuggets and fries and a Dr. Pepper? And, and by doing that over and she was showing Joe what he was capable of. He didn't want to do that. He was like, mama, you do it. But she would make him, she was equipping him to be able to order at Chick-fil-A, which now at 23, he does beautifully. <laughs> but it's not just about ordering at Chick-fil-A, is it? it? Man, you want to talk about equipping your kids proactively? Equip them to, to pick a spouse. Whew. Let me tell you what. You can make a lot of mistakes in this world, but if you get that one right, you're a lot better off. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think. I, I'm married so far over my head. I, God gave me and Julie things I was never even smart enough to ask for, but I did hold out. I, I did not settle along the way a couple of times. Whew, man, when I think about the last 29 years with Julie, 30, since we started dating, I'm like, all of the stuff that we've gone through, when, when I see her integrity, when I see her work ethic, when I see her, her romantic heart, when I, see, when I see her life and what she's willing to do as, as, as a partner in life, what she's willing to put up with, what she's willing to go through, her work ethic, whew, that's what I want for Emily and Joe. That, that's, that, that's what I want for, for, for every kid, but man, equipping our kids proactively. My child, my child, please don't settle. Please, please, I'm, I'm, because I love you, I'm begging you, hold out. Hold out for God's best. But then look at, look at what it says there. The Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So yeah, we equip our kids proactively, but if we're doing that, don't forget to enjoy your kids thoroughly. Enjoy them. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God spoke and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter. I, I delight in you. To get to be your dad is one of the greatest joys. Man, can you imagine a greater blessing as a father? I, 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 didn't even know, I didn't even know enough to know that that was something we should be aiming for as parents, to raise kids that you actually like. Jordan B. Peterson is a clinical psychologist and an author. And in his most recent book, 12 Rules for Life, rule number five, says, do not allow your children to do things that would uh, cause you to dislike them. 
Rule number five for life. Do not allow your kids to do things that would cause you to dislike them. And he uses the example that really rang, hit home with us. He says, if you, let's say that you have a toddler who doesn't like to go to bed. How many of you have ever danced that dance before? You know what I'm talking about? His point is, make them go to bed. I remember Emily, man, Emily, Queen FOMO. When she was two years old, she hated going to bed. It's fear of missing out. Just passing that on. She hated going to bed. She was afraid she was missing something, which we were trying to get her to miss. I mean, but we, we wanted her to go to bed, and she would, like, toddle back in. I'm thirsty. And finally, I just said, she's, not, she's had too much water already. We've been doing this night after night after night, and I will never forget, we had been in Austin for about two months. We were renting a little duplex, and Julie and I just said, she's safe, she's gonna be fine, but I'm not letting her out of the room tonight. And so I sat down on, in the hallway and held the doorknob while Emily screamed and cried for four days. Julie, every now and then, would come around. She goes, but the neighbors, I'm afraid they're going to call the police. I'm like, if we don't do it now, somebody will call the police on her later in life. And, and guess what? Eventually, she went to sleep. She did. She was safe. She wasn't, there was nothing in her room that could hurt her. And I just, I just held onto the door. And, and I just sat there. I was like, Lord, give me the strength to not give in. This child needs sleep. Her father needs sleep. And Emily learned how to go to sleep, but she had to have quite a bit of help. I'm the helper. That's my job as a father. This is what Jordan B. Peterson says. He says that parents are the arbiters of society. I want you to think about that. How we parent determines how our society goes. He says this, parents who refuse to adopt the responsibility for disciplining their children think they can just opt out of the conflict necessary for proper child rearing. They avoid being the bad guy in the short term, but they do not at all rescue or protect their children from fear and pain. Quite the contrary, the judgmental and uncaring broader social world will mete out conflict and punishment far greater than that which would have been delivered by an awake parent. You can discipline your children or you can turn that responsibility over to the harsh, uncaring, judgmental world. And the motivation for the latter decision should never be confused with love. Remember the old... Fram oil filter commercials, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. If parents don't step up and own the job, the world will do it. And the world doesn't care how special your little baby is. If we will step up and do that, the world will welcome them more so than if we don't. Jordan B. Peterson is a clinical psychologist who's starting to catch up to what God has been saying all along. This is our job. This is what we get to do. 
I, I told you at the very beginning that my mom gave me my first guitar. And I've shared with y'all before that my parents were divorced. But when my dad passed away when I was in college, uh, his wife at the time called me and said, Mac, you know, your dad has been sick and, and there's just, is there anything of his that you would like to have? He had, you know, he had some watches and he had some stuff. And I said, you know, the only thing that I can think of is I'd love to have his guitar. Because this is the guitar I remember my dad playing in our living room when I was a kid growing up. This is my, my earliest memories of music. And so I, I, got, I got dad's guitar. And, and when I got it back in the early 90s, it, it, was, it was in pretty bad shape. He hadn't played it in a long time. It had kind of sat in the closet. He had been ill before he passed away. And when I got it, it, it was not in great shape. And I, I kept it in the closet. You really couldn't even play it. The frets were coming out and the bridge was coming apart. And so when we moved to Austin, I found a guy here in town by the name of Mark Erlewine. Mark Erlewine is a guitar, he's a guitar wizard. He, just, he can fix anything. He's the guy who, who works on Willie Nelson's guitar that has the big hole in it, you know? He keeps Willie's guitar trigger going. So I thought, if he can keep trigger going, he can do this. So I took it to him, and he refretted it, and, and he, he got the action down right and, and everything. And so now, th this guitar, this is the one that my mom gave my dad in about 1961. So this guitar is almost 60 years old. And now... It's one of the most prized things that I have. If there's ever a fire, people get outside, but as soon as we know everybody's safe, get the guitar. But it, it needed some repair. It needed to be fixed. There's only one perfect father. The rest of us, sometimes we need to, we need to do some fixing. We need, we need to repair the instruments that we're handing down to our kids. We, we, need to, we need to repair maybe the way that we've handed it down to them. And, and I thought about that. It's a cool guitar. It's, it's not a great guitar. I mean, this is not like something that should be in a museum or is worth, you know, thirty dollars or $40,000 like some of the old ones are. But it's priceless to me. My dad played this. My dad played it and, and dad was, you know, dad was a decent guitar player. But I thought about what we do as, as people managing our dad relationships, whether we are a dad to children or our relationships with our dads are not what God wants them to be. And I remembered something from the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 68, this is how the Bible describes God. 
father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. This is who God is. He is a father to the fatherless. And Jesus Christ is the means by which he does that. It's, it's amazing to realize that God becomes a father to the fatherless through his son, Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself the pain, the penalty of sin. My sin, your sin, all sin. That should have been, that should have been my penalty. But Jesus took it on himself because he alone could do what I couldn't do for myself and you cannot do for yourself. When he rose from the dead, he had conquered that pain. He had subdued that sin eternally. He had defeated death for anyone who would follow him. For anyone who would appropriate that penance in their lives. And so in this moment, I want to ask you if you would just bow your heads with me. Here in the room, at home, online, just in this moment, I want to invite you. If you've never stepped into that relationship, if you've never committed your life to Christ, to do exactly that right now. Just talk to God and tell him you want to begin. You want to begin to live in that relationship with him and to live that relationship out in this world. Just pray something like this in your own words, silently talk to God and just say, dear heavenly father, my father, I confess my sin to you. In order to claim and accept your forgiveness. And in this moment, I give my life to you. I will follow you, Jesus. You are my Lord. You're the director of my life. Jesus, thank you. I pray this prayer in your name. For just a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed. And I want you to know that for those of you that that was your prayer, this is just the beginning. As a church, we have the privilege of, of helping with what's next. And in just a moment, I'm going to we're gonna let you know how that kind of proceeds. But very quickly, as our heads are bowed, I wanna just ask you just to make a physical, silent statement. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand? Just lift your hand up high over your head for a moment. And know that as a family, as a church, we celebrate that with you. That includes those of you watching online as well. 
And our family tradition around here is that as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.